You're listening to the Homelessness Services Association podcast. This is an audio-only version of one of our webinars addressing the challenges of frontline and shelter work during the coronavirus crisis. If you'd like to view the video or look at the slides, please go to hsa-bc.ca. Well, good morning and welcome to HSABC's webinar on the new provincial guidelines for encampment and best practices. Um, we're really looking forward to the session today. That's me, who you hear. Uh, my name is Sarah Kift, and I'm your host for today. And I've worked in the frontline nonprofit sector for over 15 years, including in Vancouver's downtown east side at Carnegie Community Centre. I develop and host webinars for HSABC, as well as instruct mental health first aid and produce podcasts for mental health organizations here in Vancouver. So when you use the question section, that's me who you'll be chatting to. And I'll do my best to share your questions and comments with Sarah and Patrick your panelists today as they come up. All right, so I have a couple of polls for you, and this is just a way for our panelists to get a sense of where you are at and, and what your role is. The first one is, what's your role in your organization? Um, are you a manager or a supervisor, a frontline staff worker? Maybe you're doing outreach or street work. Uh, maybe you're in support staff or other. And if you typed, uh, if you chose other, just type that into the question section so that I know um, I can add that. We've got some senior managers here. Nice to see a former presenter on the line from PHS as well. Lots of, uh, lots of experience here. COVID outreach workers. Um, great. Uh, and I want to say also, um, sometimes when we work in the nonprofit sector, you might be doing all of the above. I haven't put that as an option. But definitely, sometimes I know our job descriptions don't necessarily match the work that we're doing in real time. So, yeah, so we've got a, a couple of lawyers on the line who deal with human rights, legal work, some youth housing workers and someone from the provincial overdose mobile response team. So it's wonderful to see the breadth of of our audience today. Thank you for taking the time to join us, everyone. Just share those results with you quickly. Lots of frontline outreach and street workers on the line. It's great to have you with us today. All right, so one more poll, and this is just um, just to give us a bit more information. Um, how is your organization connected to encampments? So you can choose all that apply. Are you directly involved in support and outreach services? Other, you can type that in. Or are you maybe working with clients who are in encampments and then accessing your services? Um, through programming, drop-ins, other types of things. Pretty even split here, although I guess you could say that those questions are basically the same answer. Uh, so directly involved in support and outreach services with encampments, or you, maybe you're working with clients who are in encampments. Um, and there are some people as well on the line who offer support to frontline workers. Um, so it's great to have you here as well. So just briefly, if you're joining us for the first time, we are the Homelessness Services Association of BC, and we're a provincial member-driven organization, and our purpose is to provide training, capacity building, and research opportunities. And right now, so many of us, as well as our friends, families, colleagues, and clients, are facing unprecedented challenges, as well as a total change to daily life. And we're really here to help support you on the front lines however we can. We represent over 230 organizations across BC working to end homelessness. All right, now the best part I get to introduce 
our panelists to you today. So we have Sarah. Sarah is a senior policy analyst with the Housing Policy Branch at the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing, and she works mostly in homelessness. Prior to joining the government in 2018, Sarah was a newspaper reporter for 12 years with the Times Colonist newspaper in Victoria covering social issues. She has a graduate degree in journalism from Ryerson University in Toronto, and she is originally from Seashell, BC. We also have Patrick Papineau on the line. He works with uh, PHS Community Services Society in Enhanced Outreach Services. And currently, he's a project manager on the leadership teams for the Washington Sunrise Beacon Roosevelt P3 Moves in Vancouver, the Super Intensity Outreach on the Courthouse Lawn in Victoria, the First Met Shelter, the Heat Shelter Choices, My Place in Victoria, the Johnson Street Community in Victoria. He's worked with Disconsent Disconsent City in Nanaimo. He's worked extensively in Oppenheimer Park here in Vancouver, as well as Crab Park and Strathcona Park. And he is currently working in Strathcona Park, uh, not at this moment because he's joining us today. But uh, Sarah and Patrick, it's so great to have you with us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sarah. Um, yes, hello. Um, I'm Sarah Petrescu, and um, I'd like to start by acknowledging that I'm uh, here in Victoria on the unceded territories of the Lekwungen-speaking people, the Songhees and Esquimalt nations, and the Métis Chartered Community of Greater Victoria. And also that we're all meeting um, in a spirit of trust and acknowledgement that many of us are guests on the lands we now call British Columbia where Indigenous people have lived for thousands of years with their own unique cultures, identities, traditions, languages, and institutions. And that as we speak about homelessness, we must acknowledge the impacts of colonialism, of displacement, and the disproportionate effect on Indigenous peoples in both urban and rural communities, which we'll be talking about today. So I'm here to, um, thanks for inviting me, to share about some of the work that the province is doing in responding to homelessness in encampments, namely our recent work in um, engaging with communities around the Living Best Practices resource. Kind of has a few different names, but um, it is a living document and it is, it is a resource as we go out. So, um, so I'll go with that. And I'm also really happy to be presenting with Patrick from PHS, who's going to share some of what he's learned and experiences working directly with people seeking shelter and encampments. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear from Patrick. We've crossed paths a little bit in Victoria uh, and then recently with um, Oppenheimer Park. So, so I think that'll be really valuable for people. And I'll be talking a little bit more about the policy side of things. So click to the next. All right, so our role. So as Sarah mentioned, I'm a senior pol policy analyst. I work with the housing policy branch at the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing. So our ministry is responsible for the province's housing initiatives, both legislation and the programs and building developments that are delivered through BC Housing, which I'm sure many of you work with BC Housing. The role of our branch in general is to gather information, both data and narrative information, to present to decision makers and to work with community partners and all level of government to create policies that that best and that better serve people. So it's always a work in progress um, and we're always trying to do better work. 
So we also provide research and cross-ministry coordination in responding to homeless encampments, which is sort of leads me to the um, presentation today, which is I'm going to share with you a bit about uh, the state of encampments um, from the perspective of requests to the ministry and the story of how these encampment guidelines or best practices were developed. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about um, encampments in BC. Um, in 2018, our branch started more formally tracking requests for ministry assistance with homeless encampments. And, and of course, it, you know, the, the research and work was there before, but we sort of developed a bit of a system of monitoring requests of, you know, connecting different ministry partners and then a kind of briefing up, we call it. Uh, so then because of that sort of consistency, there became a lot of interest and a lot more people getting in touch with us. So some of those first requests, they included things like provincial park rangers on the island or, or on the Sunshine Coast reaching out because people were camping at parks um, on a, you know, using that, a disability pass, um, which is two weeks sort of uh, camping without the charge. But then they had nowhere to go after and and they were experiencing homelessness. So, you know, this is this was a big concern for park rangers. So we're sort of galvanizing multiple agencies and and groups together to try to help these folks out. Um, and then also, you know, multiple agencies and groups getting in touch with us about camps in urban centers and cities that seem to be growing quite quickly. So this photo here is from um, Courtney. Uh, it's a fellow named John, and he was in an encampment behind a pump station in the woods that kept flooding. So the town decided to move people to evict people. Um, several people were able to be housed in the new modular units that were getting built or just opening. But uh, John said he preferred to camp elsewhere, and that's what he did. So, yeah, um, you know, we've seen across the province homelessness and encampments growing each year in the past couple of years sort of in in number and in size and in in complexity because we're hearing very you know all sorts of different stories and really getting a, a better picture of the province so in 2019 we had requests um for you know of more than 1200 people identified as experiencing homelessness in encampments and that was just through requests um, and issues management to the housing policy branch. And, and in that year and in the year before, there were some very large encampments. Uh, there was the one in Maple Ridge. There was Oppenheimer. There was Nanaimo, Discontent City. There was one in Saanich. There's Kelowna. And, you know, there's quite a bit of focus on urban centers. But in other years, there's, you know, We've looked at a lot of smaller encampment areas in many rural areas. So, so far this year, we've already tracked over 1,500 people in 40 locations. When we say locations, that might be um, people in small groups, three or four people kind of scattered throughout an, an area. So it's that area where, where people are. It doesn't necessarily mean just one, one encampment. So in rural areas, we're getting more reports of people in multiple camps dispersed over wide areas. And the, this includes RV and vehicular homelessness and on many types of land. But in all, you know, in, in all cases, there often isn't the necessary housing or services to help people immediately leave. So, so it becomes a process. 
Um, in cities, we're seeing more demand for housing and services and more encampments, particularly, you know, ones that require multiple levels of government and agencies to come in and, and help people get, you know, the health, the harm reduction, the financial, the social, the cultural supports they need. And there's not always the agencies there to do that. So, you know, and some of these encampments have also led to court action um, and, and to people having to leave. It's just one little snapshot. Let me know if I'm talking too fast. Um, You're doing great. There's just a so, bit of a lag in the slideshow. Okay, here we go. So I titled this slide encampments around BC, but then I realized I just put pictures of the Fraser Valley. <laughs> but I will talk about other areas. But I just wanted to kind of show a little bit of this sort of just that, you know, we're not talking about one scenario and, and that people have all different needs and stories and that communities have all different needs and stories. So in the top slide, there's, there was an issue in, in uh, Burnaby where um, there's an encampment under a bridge and, um, and there are several propane tanks being stored there. And, you know, the issue wasn't necessarily that people were seeking shelter there. It was that they had these propane tanks. So, so, so when, you know, we've worked with, um, different levels of government and in the communities. We're trying to address the issues like, you know, propane tanks and not, and not, and also look at getting people the housing that they may be interested in or need. But um, yeah, just really focusing on like, what is the issue and what are the things that can be done? So, but, you know, we don't always have control of that. So one of the next um, picture you'll see of the vans there, that was in Chilliwack. And that was a long time camp at Borden Creek where people have been there quite a while. And this is something that's quite common. There'll be a place where people have been for many years and things are okay until it starts to grow and the community starts to sort of, you know, get concerned and, um, and then, you know, kind of calls for action. And um, eventually these, many of these folks were able to go to private land, but, you know, it really is just finding out if, you know, people need to leave, where can, where can they go? So Maple Ridge, um, I'm sure many people are familiar with that and have, you know, maybe worked with the folks at Maple Ridge, but this, this camp really became the focus uh, that brought attention to sort of the lack of housing and shelter in the region. Um, won't talk too much about Maple Ridge, but so not pictured are, you know, some other ones around the province. There was an encampment on Salt Spring that was a flotilla of float homes that people had sort of brought together um, to create shelter. Um, and one caught fire and they all caught fire. And, uh, you know, it was very uh, troubling situation, scary for folks. Um, and then they they moved to um, to the woods. But, you know, that was that's, you know, one sort of situation where there was shelter available. Unfortunately, it wasn't very safe. Um, there's people who have been connected with outreach in the deep woods and encampments in Squamish, people sheltering in structures and vehicles in the Thompson Nicola region, and many others in places like Prince George, Revelstoke, Vernon, Salmon Arm, Kelowna, Grand Forks. So this is really a provincial issue that has many different aspects, but it is something that's impacting communities all over the province. Um, which brings me to the stories of the, the story of the provincial encampment guidelines. I'll take you back to 2018 here. 
um, and an encampment that um, started in the CRD as as one that was raising awareness about homelessness and housing and sort of traveling around to different municipalities in the CRD and getting getting some very varied reactions from the community, but eventually set up in Saanich on highway and municipal land um, at Regina Park and, um, and eventually was, um, was moved through a court injunction uh, and then went briefly to a provincial park and to other various, various lands managed by other entities, by parks, by municipalities. So this camp really brought together a number of ministries and agencies who all had an interest but it also really raised awareness about the issues. Um, and it led to a number of requests from, from, you know, in government in the province, from land managing ministries, like forest lands and natural resources, like Ministry of Transportation, like environment, kind of triggering them to reach out to us to ask um, for help and how to respond to homelessness and encampments and what, asking what the process is. Um, because for many of, of them, um, think of a forest natural resource officer on Crown land. Um, they, their book, you know, sort of says, if you see people who are using unauthorized use of the land, you know, we, what we do is we, you know, move them along or, or we issue an unauthorized use or a trespass notice and we seize abandoned belongings. That's sort of the process. But, you know, these these um, frontline staff are saying that people are homeless. So, you know, it's different. It's they don't have anywhere to go. And we have found, you know, in cases where people were moved, that they would have nowhere to go other than a few kilometers away or a few, you know, not far away. So it wasn't really addressing the issue. So um, what we decided to do was um, get together and have um, a couple working sessions. We had one with the land ministries um, and BC housing and then we and then we brought a, the social ministries together um, like social development poverty reduction ministry of children and families uh, ministry of indigenous relations and reconciliation as well as our sort of legal services um, we invited public health who are also working on kind of their own process for homeless encampments and the first nations health authority and we put together what was um, Responding to Homeless Encampments Guidelines for Ministries document. So it's really for ministries and, and sort of kind of like an internal to government document, which just talks about the provincial approach to homelessness in encampments and the process for response and the roles of, you know, all of the partners, including local governments and including, um, you know, community entities um, and the legal and human rights implications and some best practices if we're looking back at the um, what happened, the story and the outcomes of many of the recent encampments. So also since that time, since 2018, um, these ministries, land, man, land ministries and social ministries have participated in a biweekly call that we host. And, um, and as, as a result of the guidelines and this work, government operational responses to encampments have shifted more to a more people-centered housing first approach in many areas, and I'll talk about that a bit. So, you know, just to say that um, these guidelines are, are guidelines. It's up to agencies to sort of and organizations or ministries to decide how they want to 
adopt them as their internal policy, but you know they they're they're doing it, and um, and we're seeing some interesting interesting impacts, and we're having a lot more communication. So so weird talking to the screen. <laughs> well, I'm here. <laughs> you can pretend to talk to me. <laughs> okay. So so I'll just talk a little bit about some of these impacts. Um, so overall, in general, the provincial approach to homelessness is housing first and to encampments. So that means that connecting people with people, so to understand their housing needs, to understand their barriers that they've had, um, and helping them find something suitable is the first step. So, you know, recognizing that encampments offer people, can offer people safe shelter and can offer community and support. Um, they're not um, a suitable or an ideal form of long-term housing. So, you know, also a huge, another huge priority is working with communities to really create a range of housing options to create housing for people to go to. So, so that's a big focus. So I'll just talk a little bit about the, how, how the impacts that we've seen, some specific ones since these guidelines have been created and how they're being used by different branches um, in different ministries. So like I said, you know, you know, maybe where trespass notices um, were a first response, frontline staff are, um, are, are now sort of assessing camps to see is this a homelessness an issue here and to offer outreach. And that's either connecting with us to find out who's the local outreach provider in the area. Let's all go together and talk to these folks and see what their options are and see, you know, what's available. Um, and we have these frontline staff from, you know, say Flynn Road, we have their natural resource officers, their trails and rec officers are reaching out often to our branch for information and assistance in responding to encampment in, in responding to encampments on Crown land, you know, namely in rural and wooded areas, you know, especially in areas like Fraser Valley and even in, um, you know, the interior, some in the north. And I'll just say, you know, just, I haven't uh, mentioned this before, but you know, many municipal municipalities will have their own processes, and we might not hear about their the encampments in municipalities. So, so a lot of these are are ones where it's um, crown land. So, staff we're finding staff are responding differently to requests from local governments and agencies who want them to immediately remove encampments and to and enforce local bylaws where when homelessness may be issue. You know just even taking a breath to find out, okay, what is the actual issue here? What's going on? Um, is there something for people? Um, you know, what can we do to sort of mitigate? If, or is it is the issue that there are some major risks at this camp? Can we, you know, in the interim, while people are trying to get connected with housing, can we try to mitigate some of those risks? So, um, you know, just for example, in Squamish, the district was considering um, a bylaw that prohibited people from living in RVs. And um, they had hoped that, um, you know, um, that they would get some support to, to kind of enforce that bylaw from, um, from natural resource officers. And so, you know, and just in talking with us, um, the ministry, we, we sort of thought, well, because those people were experiencing homelessness and because there's, well, not all of the people, there were a number of people, though, you know, there, and because no housing or shelter was was available or kind of be part of the plan, then, you know, 
um, supporting that enforcement probably wasn't the best thing because what would it look like on the other end? It would look like people being moved from one place to another. So that's not successful for everyone, anyone, right? You know, another impact is that ministries are just more aware of homelessness and of the current housing issues, which is huge. I think for many of us who work in, in that world, we're very aware of what the issues are and how difficult it is. But, you know, uh, people in other fields may not be. They may not understand the, you know, the stories of people that are happening right now and the pressures. So, um, yeah, I just want to also say that, you know, these requests are coming from all over the province and in many places where there's not BC housing or nonprofit homeless outreach providers. So one thing that has been super helpful is that um, SDPR has expanded their outreach with um, community integration specialists. And so these are outreach workers who are community-based. And, um, and so in many areas, they've been able to provide that connection to services where maybe they don't have, have that in that community. So you're probably wondering what this photo is. This is uh, people who are um, at the tent city in Saanich um, and the CRD, Lynn and uh, Dee Dee and Dawn, who um, are a couple. And they were having a hard time finding housing that was suitable for them. And, you know, couples trying to stick together is always is always an issue. So they ended up um, finding becoming roommates in a in a three bedroom um, kind of bungalow place. So that was in 2018. Not sure how things are now, but this is them um, talking about it to the local newspaper. Here we are now um, at a local. So we've, we've talked a bit about the ministry. Uh, guidelines and how those came to be. So how did we get to where kind of where we're at now? So this is um, the local government and community responses. So because, you know, I, I mentioned that many of the requests received were, were from ministries and, um, and we weren't hearing from local governments as much on specific encampments, we were getting a lot of requests, not just not to our branch necessarily, but maybe to the minister, um, maybe to UBCM and, and things about what is the provincial approach? How, how can government, local governments get help with this issue um, of um, encampments and homelessness and, and getting housing? And then not just housing, getting like the health supports and the social supports they needed. You know, there's even a request for a rural specific um, homeless encampment plan. And, and definitely um, one issue that is highlighted is one that we call community inclusion, addressing the need for community inclusion. Um, and, you know, you may call, you may hear the term community resistance, you may hear the term nimbyism, things like that. But, you know, really addressing uh, the community concerns over um, housing for people who are experiencing homelessness, over encampments. And, and trying to really, um, you know, what do you say, myth bust, I guess, and, um, and really have people who are experiencing homelessness um, really be, be included as members of the community and, um, and have their needs met. So, so the plan for this, we started to put together a version of the guidelines for local governments and communities, and, and the plan is take this living document out to local governments, to community, to Indigenous organizations, any starting with those who, who had had encampment experiences, to share it and to hear from them and to kind of develop a resource. So that was kind of in uh, January, March. 
and then and then we had COVID. So COVID kind of put stopped us all in our tracks, right? So our plans were put on pause. And um, well, I'm not going to talk too much about the response to COVID, but it does definitely relate. So I'll go over it a little bit. Um, so as as a result of COVID, you know, emergency shelters across the province closed. They reduced services capacity to follow public health guidelines to prevent virus tr- transmission, promote physical distancing. Um, you know, the province worked pretty quick to to try to meet the need for people experiencing homelessness for vulnerable um, people, for women at risk of violence by, you know, extending more than 1,500 seasonal shelter spaces um, or emergency weather shelter spaces and by setting up over 3,000 emergency response center spaces. So those are spaces in hotels and communities um, with health and social supports. So, um, you know, COVID also highlighted some major gaps in the existing supportive housing and shelter system, um, you know, which which was interesting and and demonstrated sort of, you know, a new way or an important way um, to deliver supports and services for people, you know, which includes really strong partnerships with Ministry of Health and Health Authorities in planning these services. So, um, yeah, and and with that talk a little bit about um, something that happened during COVID. So uh, Patrick will talk a little bit about Vancouver, I'm sure. Um, But also, yeah, let's talk about um, Victoria and Vancouver encampments. So just a little recap. Um, There's April 25th, I think it was. Uh, There was a public safety evacuation order was issued for encampments in um, Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park and Victoria's Pandora Corridor. Pandora Avenue is a, is a street and um, Topaz Park that, you know, in short led to 605 people moving to temporary and permanent housing with a range of uh, health and social supports. So with this um, evacuation, the province committed to housing everyone from the encampments permanently. And these plans are underway to make sure that there's, you know, a range of options for people and that the health and social supports and cultural supports are in place. So, and, you know, I just want to acknowledge that these these encampments and and the people who moved to this housing are, you know, they're a fraction of the homelessness in these areas. So not reflective of the entire situation, but a significant number of people. So. What you know, what this um, what this move did, and you know, it was very tight timelines. Um, is in the context of two pandemics, COVID and the overdose crisis. But you know, an interesting thing happened in that with this um, sort of evacuation or move um, became a very high priority priority for multiple agencies at the same moment in time. And it brought together a number of partners who work very quickly. So in ways that, you know, I don't I haven't seen before, I think in ways that really surprised everyone and, and pleased many people, because it just brought people to the table table in sort of a snap. So in, the cities were very different, of course, because you know, different cities, different scenarios. Um, Victoria had two 
major areas, different histories to both of these um, areas and encampments, and definitely different resources in both cities. So, you know, in both, though, health was front and center. You know, on site, this meant mobile harm reduction and virus prevention measures, both at the camps, but also set up at the temporary housing spaces like the hotels. And, you know, I'll just quickly go over some of the important lessons that I I think to be learned from both scenarios. And this was shared as the groups debriefed. And one is that communication with encampment residents is absolutely key. Um, you know, hearing hearing people's not only people's needs and their scenarios, their life situations, and you know what they need for for housing, successful housing, but also communicating the actual plans for what's happening at the site and the options, and and you know how things how things are going to be um, set out or what resources are available. That's that's huge. Also, peer networks are so important. Um, that was very very evident in this. Um, and then when you look at police presence, that's something we're all considering lately. Um, you know, this this should definitely be con- considered carefully. And I think there's some lessons learned from both in in kind of the value of, you know, what does that look like? And what are the impacts for the people who are there who are making some big life choices? Um, and on also in, you know, bringing the right people to the to one table, having having people work together as a team. Um, you know, rather kind of different groups working at odds with each other, anyone feeling left out. So, and then, um, you know, Indigenous and cultural respect and ceremony were hugely valuable. Um, and and I'm, I think Patrick will talk a bit about that a little bit more specifically, but it was very impactful for people on a, you know, cerebral and emotional level, um, especially in Vancouver. Yeah, so that's kind of sort of where we are. Um, at this point in time, and um, and regarding our um, encampment guidelines or best practices resource, now that things have sort of um, I don't want to say getting back to normal, but now that we're picking up where we left off a little bit, um, we are rebooting our engagements um, with local governments, with communities, and we've sort of revised our resource to include um, some information that is COVID related. I don't know if you saw, and many of you saw the letter from the um, uh, provincial health officer to um, communities regarding bylaw enforcement and stuff around encampments and keeping washrooms open. There was a bit of an abridged um, appendix document that was sort of taken from these, these guidelines and, um, and adapted to be specific. Um, you know, for COVID. So, so we've included that and it's in the PDF you have. And so some of the communities we, you know, we want to start with are those that we actually had meetings with the day the province got kind of locked down. We were supposed to meet in Vancouver, but also Victoria to talk more in general about encampments because, you know, Oppenheimer and, um, and Topaz and Pandora clearly aren't the only ones, but also places like Abbotsford and Ima Kelowna and others from the interior and north. Um, our goal is to build out and revise this best practices document as we talk to people to get a better sense of the homelessness pressure and encampments around the province. And, and really, um, as we've been able to take a breath and think about these a bit more and to look at, you know, sort of the situation in the province to, to make it a, a priority and to do a better job of including people with lived experience 
in these engagements and, you know, using peer networks where we can and community service providers. So um, that's definitely a welcome to get in touch. And also to do a better job of Indigenous engagement, you know, not just with organizations, but with um, local First Nations and Métis peoples as well. Um, And to really take a community-centered approach. And this photo that you see here um, on the slide is uh, Spocken House uh, in Victoria. That's a new modular building uh, for women that is um, going to be operated by the um, Aboriginal Coalition to End Homelessness and um, was sort of culturally informed um, program design. And, um, and so that's a really exciting project. And um, I guess I'll end there and, um, and just say, please uh, get in touch. And um, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Sarah. Pass that on to uh, Patrick. Actually, I wanted to just, before we invite Patrick, um, I just wanted to ask a couple of questions that have come up while you were speaking. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. It's really, it's always helpful for me to know the why and how of things come into being. Um, And I think definitely as we're engaged in this uh, crisis and, you know, trying to apply policy to practical situations, it's really nice to know um, where it came from. (laughs) Um, I just have a couple of questions coming up here. And one is about, you mentioned that um, you're working to engage communities in feedback and prioritize uh, lived experience. And there's a question here around um, the guidelines that are, that we have now and how um, people with lived experience are living in homelessness encampments contributed to that document were you able was that part of the consultation process I know you talked about working with municipal governments and lots of different ministries but um, yeah there's a question there around that yeah so for um, these documents for the ministry one and and for the local government one um, we really drew from um, different um, frontline serving agencies and from our experiences um, with encampments over the years and and those stories, but we didn't have any sort of um, engagement sessions with people. It wasn't like a, I don't know, a a sort of planned engagement kind of discussion. So that's, that's kind of where we're at now. And, um, and that's what we're aiming to do now. So um, definitely people's stories had a huge impact, um, but those stories were often relayed from uh, frontline uh, service providers, whether they're a ministry or nonprofit or through BC Housing. And yeah, so that kind of answer. Yeah. And so what you're saying is that um, because this is a living document, you're going to be engaging uh more with those groups of people going forward? Yeah, yeah. Like the first version was very much uh, what is the kind of provincial process? Who's responsible for what? Um, we've sort of picked out as much as we can right now that we think would be out of that, that would be relevant to um, communities. And then now we're going to the communities to talk to them and to include people with lived experience and, you know, um, frontline workers to say, here, here's our work in progress. 
what else do we need? How can we make this more relevant? What, you know, it's sort of consulting on that level, um, engaging and hearing the stories of encampments and people in their communities. So, so that's why we're, we have, so you see at the end of the document, there's sort of some questions and a place to kind of start those conversations. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we know it's going to be different in every community who we, you know, who we get together with and, and chat with. So, so that's where we're at right now. We're in that process. Mm. And just to get a bit of a sense of, um, so right now, how is this document being shared? Is it mostly internally through ministries and obviously to our uh, members here at HSABC? But is this something like where does it sit in in sort sort of orders, guidelines, policy? Where does this document fit in that hierarchy? So it's not it um, up until very recently. It's been an internal uh, document and. Um, and, you know, we've also called it a draft as well because we want it to change as we learn. Um, and, and like I said, it is it's guidelines, it's best practices, but how different agencies use it or different ministries use it is up to them, how they adopt it. Um, really definitely pushing, um, you know, really highlighting the housing first approach. Um, so right now, though, it's, it's very newly being shared. Um, you know, I think we've, we shared it with maybe one or two communities. So this is actually one of the first venues that that we're sharing it a bit more. And we're just starting our some of our meetings. So well we really appreciate you um taking it external for us and beginning that conversation. Thank you, Sarah. And for all the work that you've put into it. Yeah, and also thanks. And also to um to just, you know, uh put my email there for a reason. Please get in touch and and um, you know even if if you don't want to necessarily be part of this you know the a formal meeting we just would like to hear what's happening in your community and what you're concerned about or or what you've and also what you've seen as as really great um, work and best practices you know it's interesting to be on being in government you're on a lot of conference calls and you hear a lot of different information around the province of how people are sort of learning about homelessness in new ways and coming together quickly, especially in light of COVID and really hearing communities that may be rural or maybe have never before thought about what's it like to have peer, you know, a peer network being part of this planning. Like that can be very new for some places. And, um, and yeah, it's just very important to hear and make those connections. Yeah. So just to sum up, uh, Sarah's email is here and there's a question around, uh, so you're, um, inviting local agencies to work with you to support that community engagement. Is that something that you're looking at? To get in touch, um, if they're interested, but also if individuals want to share their thoughts on experiences with encampments, even if you want to look at the questions that are in the handout at the end you can and feel free to send a response by email um yeah it, i think it'd be up to the participants on on how they'd you know might be interested in in engaging but definitely in more than one way that's good thank you sarah well patrick we're going to hand it over to you now and perfect thank you so much 
Okay. Um, so first and foremost, I just want to, um, you know, echo uh, Sarah's acknowledgement. Um, I'm currently located on the Muscoon, Tooth and Squamish Nation's uh, ancestral lands. Wonderful, rich culture here. Um, so grateful to be here. Uh, and then in addition, I also want to acknowledge the fact that, you know, the population we're lucky enough to serve um, unfortunately, is really, really suffering, you know, under some of the ills of, you know, capitalism, patriarchy, colonialism, you know, racism, those structures as well. So that's that's definitely worth mentioning. Um, but let's get into it. I'd like to um, just let everybody know that kind of the context here is just really from a frontliner to a frontliner um, and some of the, the best practices and lessons that I've learned um, over multiple years uh, being lucky enough to support uh, multiple encampments all over the province. Um, and there's a lot to cover, so let's get into it. Okay, um, so kind of just starting from a um, philosophical perspective, um, we're here to be in service. Uh, you know, we are service providers in name. Um, so a little context for this picture. This is one of the first individuals housed um, in 2018 outside of the uh, discontent city encampment protest uh, out of Nanaimo. This is kind of what we uh, are here to do uh, to a certain degree. Um, encampments are protests for housing and to be able to house individuals is a phenomenal thing. It makes an incredible impact and it takes a lot of people and a lot of hard work um, to get individuals to that place from all different sectors. Um, but I wanted to, you know, start with this picture because that was a really important moment um, when a lot of people's lives changed, uh, as you can see. So, you know, we'll get into the community care later. Um, that's kind of who I'm addressing here. But uh, this is what we're doing it for. Um, if we can go to the next slide. Yeah. Thanks. Um, okay. So uh, you have an encampment in your community. Um, first and foremost, um, this is a overhead shot of the um, day after everybody was uh, transitioning to housing. Most people were in a transition to housing outside of uh, the Oppenheimer encampment. So when you kind of approach this, the first lens that I always want to kind of come from is health and safety, obviously. So that being said, hygiene, do you have washrooms that can um you know, sustainably be used by a large number of people or how many people are in your encampment? Do you have running water? Do you have the ability to wash hands, especially during COVID that became such an incredible thing um, with just trying to mitigate the potential of, um, you know, the virus getting into the camp and then spreading uh, because, you know, even though social distance measures were there, individuals in this community is dealing with such a a myriad of tough, tough things um, that, you know, just the basics, basics, basics are super, super important. Um, so that's kind of one of the first things um, that we try and look at um, on site. Uh, secondly, emergency services. Now, those kind of break down to, um, you know, your, your big three. So your, your ambulance service, your um, fire and your police. Now, all of those are very, very, very different organizations um, serving very, very different, but still kind of overlapping roles. So um, when it comes down to it, ambulance, it's really important for them to have egress and properly marked uh, areas. Um, 
we saw this in Oppenheimer. It was fantastic. We had um, kind of weekly meetings um, between various stakeholder groups. So, you know, executives from BC Housing came down, um, you know, uh, leadership from the ambulance came down, campers were involved, advocates were involved, local community stakeholders were involved. And this was a wonderful time to kind of express different concerns on how we can get, um, you know, life-saving interventions um, to people. Um, I'll touch a little bit on fire. Fire is a much, much bigger uh, issue um, for encampments because of, well, a myriad of reasons. First and foremost, tents go up uh, very quickly. They're very, very flammable. So there are different um, fire code uh, things that have to be considered, um, especially through during Corona. One of the overlaps was just tense spacing. Sometimes that's not always possible. Um, but I want to let you know that it is in 2016, um, the provincial fire inspector came in and declared the Victoria courthouse lawn, uh, fully fire code compliant. Uh, and what that took was a lot of combustible materials were removed from the site. Um, lots of, uh, gravel was placed down for proper paths of egress, Lots of fire extinguishers at various points. Um, we even created a little program where individuals from fire uh, were able to come down and give kind of tutorials on how to stay fire safe. And then in addition, if there is a fire, how to respond, things like that. Um, so I just want to let you know that it is possible um, to, to have, a, you know, a fire compliant 10 cities. It's difficult <laughs> for sure. But at the same point, um, you know, with proper collaboration and things like that, you can definitely mitigate uh, a lot of that fire risk, which is actually a very, very real risk. Um, and then going over to police, that's, you know, we're in a very real moment right now um, because of just kind of the systems, you know, that are embedded within society. And then those systems and uh, the sharp end of them are never more felt than within the communities that we get to serve. So a lot of individuals have had so many, so many negative interactions with police um, that one of the strategies that we try to employ is just, you know, in getting with the camp um, and engaging with that community, get their take on it. Because as a frontliner working in inside of encampment, it's really about, you know, doing your best to, to buffer and facilitate interactions between the residents of this community and the stakeholders that are interested uh, in providing service. So that being said, we rely a lot on the known and liked officers from the community. You know, there's a lot of beat officers uh, out there, or some, and I've seen this in, in multiple communities, that, you know, have a special compassion or have a, you know, a history or experience with a lot of individuals in the camp. You know, uh, and camps don't happen in a vacuum. So there's a, there was always a lot of opportunity there, or at least some opportunity to, to start dialogue to see how um, that can happen. But in addition to, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, as encampments move along, for example, and things get into the courts, um, that there's always going to be threat of displacement uh, from the same police, right? So it's a very, very tricky situation that really involves talking to the individual residents of the encampments and then from there you know trying to understand their concerns and and, and maybe even advocate uh with police and it was amazing to 
um, once that community does get engaged, we did very, like there was very minimal police presence on site uh, for Oppenheimer. And I think a really big um, factor in that was just the, the open communication. You know, uh, I might as well have had a megaphone <laughs> while I was in there because everybody I saw, hey, this is the update. This is what's going on today. This is where we're going to be working. This is the plan. This is what's happening with you guys in court. Do you want to speak to somebody um, that can speak more directly to that, uh, for example? Um, next up is individual safety. So first and foremost, you know, caring for yourself and your team. Very, very um, simple site safety, right? Do you have egress? Do you have a way out? Do you, you know, are you safe in any particular moment in any particular venue uh, inside of the camp? Um, and then from there, safety for um, other individuals. So every person is going to have their own safety needs. And, and the best way to, to, to understand those is to ask very simply, you know, do you feel safe? You know, um, an individual who who's transgendered is going to have very different safety concerns uh, than a 200 pound bodybuilder. It's going to be very different. So it's all about that open communication and listening um, to see where people are. And then from there, um, to go and advocate or provide resources or do what you can to create the safest space possible uh, for them if if the opportunity presents itself. Patrick, um, Patrick, yes. Do you mind? I just have a question um, around heat sources because I know you were yeah. saying that the camp uh, was fully fire compliant. Um, can you talk a bit about what you've seen in terms of um, heat sources for people in their tents and how they comply with fire safety? Yeah. So that's actually a really good um, point to bring up, Sarah, is that in the winter time, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. Individuals, uh, I've seen everything from candles to um, electrical uh, heaters that have been used off of power packs to propane stoves that have been used for heating. Um, and frankly, none of those are going to be fire compliant. Um, but at the same point too, you know, when we um, were officially engaged to go into Oppenheimer, it was in the middle of a snowstorm in January. Mm -hmm. So there's also, you know, the protection of life is very, very important um, at that point because, you know, it is the West Coast, but you can still freeze to death. Or what we're seeing is... Um, individuals with wet clothes and hypothermia. There were a couple of hypothermic individuals um, that we were able to connect with care um, in that kind of a context. So really it's an understanding and having that communication with those individuals, um, you know, about the risks and very, very unfortunate risks. And then offering up, you know, there were more warming shelters made available and things like that. And those may not be appropriate to the individuals, you know. So it's a really, really tricky balance to be honest. Uh, insofar as that goes. However, one of the ways that we were able to mitigate that was in Nanaimo uh, back in 2018. Um, we had the um, uh, we had a very large tent that we erected. It was like a 20 by 40 tent. Uh, and working together with fire, uh, we were able to put a large cannon heater, a propane fueled cannon heater in there. Because um, that was November, um, like October, November time that we put that up. And then from there, individuals had an area where they could go and stay warm and dry out uh, and do those types of things. So it's really important that, you know, as the stakeholders get together and planning for that, especially with bylaw and fire, et cetera, um, that those spaces are made available because that does help mitigate the risk. Mm -hmm. Thank you. No problem. 
It's great to hear um, that on the ground experience of what what you do to problem solve. <laughs> well, that that's it. You know, it's it's literally a rolling puzzle <laughs> at that point with with many different shifting pieces. So, um, you know, I'm happy to share some of the lessons learned. Um, overdose prevention. That's a that's a big one. Um, that's a huge one. So um, within Oppenheimer, there was an overdose prevention site. If you look at the picture, it was basically, uh, if you look at the very bottom, kind of where that triangle, um, where it ends, um, there was an overdose prevention site there. Um, but in, at the same point too, there's still individuals using in their tents, things like that. So it's really important to get to know people um, and then discuss openly about usage being like, hey, do you know there's an overdose prevention site next, next door? Can you, you know, use with a buddy? What do you know? about what's happening around right now with the poison drug supply, things like that. Um, and really doing the best uh, through information, I feel, um, to reduce some of that stigma so that people feel more open uh, about safe usage. And then uh, triage. So that being said, individuals in the camp, everybody has different needs, different levels of vulnerability. Um, it's up to frontline staff to be able to kind of triage those um, individuals um, on a kind of not priority basis, but at the same point, um, timeliness and urgency. So whether that's heavy, heavy mental health, whether that's, um, you know, individuals that are incredibly vulnerable. So we're talking about groups like youth or other marginalized groups, um, or, you know, indigenous folk or people that, um, may be physically unsafe in the camp, that kind of a thing. Um, that's where, um, the initial care should go. Uh, insofar as, you know, triaging people to, to ideally uh, a safer situation or, or a situation of their choosing that, that, that could better suit them. Okay, work. Um, I'll just kind of go a little bit quicker because I know that I just want to be cognizant some of the time. Um, first thing first, in Oppenheimer, we just got in and we got to work. Uh, when we got in there, it was um, after the Christmas break. So there was a lot of like garbage wasn't being picked up uh, and things like that. A lot of tents had collapsed from the snow. And things like that. So um, we went in and we just started cleaning. And that was a great opportunity to meet people. Um, that was a great opportunity to reduce the power dynamic because ultimately I go home and sleep in my bed. Whereas these individuals, this is their homes. So that's respectful. Hey, do you mind if I, this is beside your tent. I'm cleaning up. Would you mind if I took this or do you want me to leave it? How does that look and feel for you? Um, and in that January, I think we took out like one of those bins that you're seeing is about a half a ton. We did about five of those. Um, and that was just uh, myself and Happy, um, my work partner. And we just kept shoveling, <laughs> kept shoveling. Um, and then from there, that was a great opportunity to meet people, to get into different corners of the camp. Um, and then also to demonstrate that we're here to help um, in a way that's just, you know, um, through action, which is really, really important. Um, secondly, when you work, you know, keep your promises. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Um, that's just very important. It helps build trust and it just kind of demonstrates what you are there for and the authenticity therein. And then from there, this is a, this could be a whole webinar in its own, but peer work. Um, so as within, within Oppenheimer, we found that, you know, there was a lot of work to be done and a lot of different communities used that park were in that encampment. So from there, uh, a lot of community groups were already there, you know, extending their outreach services or serving that community in their own way, um, these peer-led organizations. So we just got in conversation. And also, too, we were a small team, so we need to grow to provide um, that kind of thing. And then it also, too, 
peer groups, people with lived experience are experts in themselves, in their lives, in their work, in how they choose to serve their community. It's so heartfelt and open and honest that so much learning happened, uh, especially as we were connecting um, those groups with other stakeholder groups um, to understand the needs of the camp and the best ways to, to provide services. So, you know, we tried to engage with as many uh, as we could. One of our main um, partnerships was with WARS, the Western Aboriginal Harm Reduction Society, and their director, Chris Livingston, who's an amazing human being. And um, his work was absolutely instrumental in that because they have access and they have conversations that we can't even glimmer. Uh, from that. And for our, just from, from a service provider stance, it's really important that this work is informed, it's, it's accessible, it's equitable, it's sustainable, and it's impactful. You know, you don't want to overburden people. You don't want to shift the responsibility um, for what needs to happen there. Um, but at the same point, you want to provide pathways for people to help. And it's such a, it's such a humanizing and incredible thing um, for myself as a frontliner. Because working together with somebody and walking beside somebody, you know, as we're serving this incredible protest um, was really an experience that um, that changed me. And that and that goes true to Victoria. That goes true to Nanaimo and any other thing that we've, uh, we've worked with. Uh, being a good partner, that's everything from holding space uh, to mentorship, to administrative support, to whatever you can do uh, to support because we're all in this together. And then also to feedback is invaluable. The lessons learned there, it's, we're service providers. Uh, if we can improve our service provision, that's what we're here to do. Um, also, kind of on a more, I guess, spiritual uh, context, the work gives people meaning. You know, we get out of our beds every day and we go and we, we, we apply ourselves and apply our lives to do this. Um, and every that's the same. That's the same everywhere. Um, and then just kind of a more pragmatic tip, um, it's always best to do... Um, you know, your honoraria or your payments offsite. You don't want to make yourself a target. You don't want to make somebody else, especially in a vulnerable position, a target. Um, so it was phenomenal that uh, WARS had an office offsite and that all transactions were handled there. Ceremony. Uh, everybody, this is happy. Um, he's uh, an incredible human being. Uh, we work together uh, in Oppenheimer and also in Victoria. So basically understanding that you're a guest um, inside of, a, of an encampment is an important thing. You do not live there. Um, you are not under the same pressures um, as the individuals there. You have not been through the same struggle. So that being said, just try and be a good guest uh, when you're there and be grateful that this community is allowing you to do what it is that you love um, and provide them service. Uh, going forward, the future is female and the future is brown. So indigenous female leadership is one of the most powerful forces I've ever come across in the world. So that being said, when you are in an encampment, try and find, um, you know, the female leadership there. They're going to ap approach that um, with, with such a different lens. So, so compassionate, um, so nurturing, so caring that you're going to see really where the needs are um, through that perspective. Um, you know, if they choose to share it, which is a phenomenal thing. I've, I've learned so many lessons and, and, and experienced so much personal healing. Um, in those spaces. So I highly recommend um, liaising with those individuals as much as possible. Um, and then also to keep an eye on, you know, food, shelter, language, clothing. These are things that are unique to every community. Um, and if you have a more nuanced understanding of what that looks like, whether it's, you know, why is that crew always wearing the same type of hat? Or, 
you know, what is the slang? What's the jargon here? Like, what does that mean? Um, and what's the context that it's used in? It really gives you kind of a lens into how people interact on the day to day. Um, and personally, it's just, there's such a richness of culture there. Um, in addition to that, uh, the value of routine. So for example, as you can see, happy, um, just killing it on the grill with so many different smokies, you know, it's important that those things happen at the same time so that people can, you know, plan their day around it. And then also it provides an opportunity for people to get together, um, and also for information to be shared back and forth, you know, so that was a really good thing for us to, to be able to interact with a large amount of people. Um, through something so as beautiful and as simple as just serving food. It's amazing. Um, and then lastly, lead from behind. So as a service provider, you know, you're going to hold a lot of space. You're going to get a lot of information, a lot of different people's viewpoints. Um, if you see something or hear something that you think is a great idea, get behind it. You know, there are so many individuals that are champions for their community. Um, and then from there, if we have access to resources or that we can connect them to, or bring into the camp, things like that. Phenomenal stuff. Um, and I just want to touch one more thing on the ceremony, no problem, is that, you know, there's also the, the indigenous lens. You know, this land has such an ancient history, and there's so many beautiful ceremonies that exist here um, that any opportunity you have to bring those to the ground, to get us grounded in that particular moment, for example, in Oppenheimer, um, we had representatives from the Muskin, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations come down. And it was such a powerful moment and such a, um, it gave you so much hope um, to feel that connection. Um, I wasn't so trying to rush you, Patrick. No, no problem. Time the slideshow appropriately. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, so insofar as community building goes, that's kind of one of the ways that we, we do what we can. Um, and that also links into leading from behind. You know, this isn't our community, but we can definitely, um, if allowed, provide support um, to the individuals there that already have a community. So finding the things that work for everybody or, you know, mitigate harm at that point is really important um, to that feeling of togetherness, that feeling of uh, people coming together and supporting each other, because ultimately, you know, at some point in the day, you are going to go home. They're very long days, but you will go home and um, they have each other and it's bigger than one individual. So that being said, any opportunity you have uh, to do that. And it also provides a sense of, of place for an individual. You know, I live in Oppenheimer. I live in discontent city. I'm a super intense city. Zen. like these are these are places that people who are so often displaced, so often marginalized, so often transient if they choose to make that in that place their home, that's an important thing. That's a that's a feeling that's not um, often afforded. So you know, they, it came to a point now where they had to take that space and create that space. So it's it's important to to venerate that. Um, also, one of the things that we did in Oppenheimer was really focused on demographics, cohorts, and street family. Um, at PHS, we kind of have a policy where we're not going to ask you for your name and your birthday. We'll get to that um, until there's an offer or something. You know, or it's, it's, it's absolutely necessary for a referral or, you know, some kind of, you know, connection with the service provider. Um, so from that top, from one level removed from that, you know, knowing why do, you know, all of our, why are all of our single males um, on the top, you know, on the north side of the camp? Why do the indigenous individuals and activists congregate here? How did these communities form? Um, because that can help guide your approach. Um, and also, too if possible, kind of 
mitigate issues between these groups or, you know, uh, act as a buffer or facilitate something or find means of collaboration. There's so much wonder uh, that happens as these families um, interact with each other within, you know, an encampment. Um, also, too, an important thing, you know, and I'll call Mr. Rogers on this is look for the helpers. So there's always going to be individuals in the tent city that are just doing incredible work to support their community. And those people will make themselves very, very visible to you um, because they're always busy. They're always running around. They're always helping people. Find them. Ask them what their needs are. How can you expand the amount of help um, that they're providing their neighbors, you know, their brothers and sisters, um, which is a huge help um, from that. In addition to that, community leaders, um, you know, depending on the size of the camp, uh, depending on the, 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 the physical geography, the cultural topography, all of that inside of the camp, um, you know, you're going to have different leadership groups. And it, those can be incredibly valuable and give you a lot of different information onto how best support people and what's appropriate um, and what they need from you and what they don't need from you uh, and where boundaries lie. Um, and also, too, it allows... You know, as we saw in Oppenheimer, for example, you know, some community leaders will approach you when somebody else doesn't feel comfortable and point out some really important issues. For example, this individual, you might not know it, but, you know, has a really bad leg infection. Can you bring a nurse down or can you get them to clinic or, hey, I was with this individual last night. You know, they're having a really bad uh, time with their mental health. Is there anything you can do to support? You know, um, that's also a very, very quick way to be like, all right, I'm here. Um, we might have some resourcing. We can help. Uh, and then from there, once again, I can't, I can't say this enough, clear, open and common, uh, communication, like let everybody know what you're doing, be as transparent as possible. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the individuals in these encampments have been, you know, betrayed or felt uh, left behind or left out of society as a whole. So the more that you communicate and the more that you follow through on that communication um, really shows um, the authenticity of what you're here there to provide. Now, on the community of care, this is a wonderful picture. Uh, this is actually outside of the Supreme Court in Vancouver uh, for the crap, right after the crab Park decision. One of the things I like to always keep on the tip of my nose um, is that everybody is doing the best they can. <laughs> it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, doesn't matter where you're coming from, doesn't matter. Everybody is showing up to this thing, doing the absolute best that they can. And I feel that, that that's a perspective that has really helped me uh, personally. Um, do this work, which is very intense, which is, you know, short term, lots of pressure, long term, you know, sometimes you stare at the void and the void stares back into you. Uh, but know that everybody is literally doing the best that they can. This is a positive something. These are helpers trying to help in the best way that they can. Um, and people deserve love for that. Uh, now coming in, understanding stakeholder maps. Stakeholder maps are important to me because it shows who's who and who can provide what. And what the um, logistics chains on things are. This was incredibly important with COVID um, as health was taking leadership, um, you know, uh, of that. And BCH was working together and the city of Vancouver came in. And then all of a sudden there's a lot of people um, working together. So knowing, you know, that information allows you then to refer people appropriately or advocate appropriately or bring information to the right person at the right time for the right reason. Uh, and then from there, invert that view and think about it from the perspective of a resident, right? Why would a resident need to, um, you know, go down to the Healy Clinic or go 
and get COVID testing? And how does that look and feel for them? Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel safe? Have they had a bad interaction in the past? Is there a substitute that you can provide? Um, also to capacity, you know, that's a very important thing, you know, at its height, um, Oppenheimer was, you know, close to 250 people on the ground. You know, you can't send 250 people to a clinic. That's just, that's not kind or feasible. Um, so in having those relationships with people, it's important that, you know, you understand what it is that can be provided before you go and offer it. And then lastly, it's not about you as an individual. And I will say that it's about the collective, that whole community. You are part of a system um, designed to help people. So that being said, understand that, you know, that that's your position, right? And it, that really comes into play when things get intense and you're tired and you're stressed and you're under a lot of pressure and there's a million different needs flying at you at that time. Um, value of information. So what's in a name? If you are an individual that has experienced homelessness for a very, very long time, you will be asked for your name and your story ad nauseum for years. There's so much value in your name and your date of birth and your story and your addiction and, 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 um, be aware of that and try and treat that softly because, you know, that's a lot of trauma that has to be, um, unearthed for an individual and for an individual just trying to survive. That's very, very difficult. So be very careful because when you get that name and the date of birth, it's the beginning of a contract. You're asking that information from somebody for a reason. So it's important to know that, you know, this is going on in a, a supportive housing registry document. This is going on a VAT because ideally those are the two pieces that get you into housing. Or this is going on a medical form, which is going to get you treatment or going to get you a safe supply prescription. You know, always try and tie those things together. Uh, for an individual because, you know, you don't want to unearth all that trauma for no reason. Um, information flow, contact points and timelines, that's really important, especially from the community of care perspective, um, because everyone's doing the best that they can to provide or adapt or be agile with their service delivery to an encampment, which is a moving living thing. Um, so try to be cognizant of that and advocate through um, you know, your data and your information, let people know how things are changing on the ground because as a frontliner, you're going to have access to information and intuit a lot of these things. Um, and it's important that uh, the other members on your team who might not be front lines know that as well. Um, what's appropriate housing? Ask the resident what they want. It's very, very simple. They're experts in themselves. And then from there, you take that information back. And then from there, you know, either it's the ministry or BC Housing or whomever, you know, that's the information that they have so that it, it ideally guides their decision-making process to get people into a place that's, you know, that they've been protesting for, that they've been suffering for, um, you know, the basic right of housing. And then tracking, reporting, and trending. So that being said, you know, when I'm in there, I'm doing a lot of counts of tents, of individuals, of groups that I'm seeing, because for me, you know, a tent city is, is a symptom. Right. And so that from there, if I have that information and I'm providing that information to all the relevant parties, um, then from there, they can maybe ideally go back and see the cause of that. The ecosystem, let's get a little bit more esoteric with this. If you spend enough time in an encampment, you will get a feel for it. And that goes the same for social housing. That goes the same for, you know, a cathedral. That goes the same for a music festival when we can have them again. All the things. Right. So there's a certain energy that pervades when human beings get together. And it's important to notice that it will be a different energy on a full moon. It will be a different energy a week out from check day. It'll be a different energy when, 
you know, there was a large police event in there um, last night. There's going to be a different energy when there's a pandemic and then there's an outbreak half a block away, as we saw in Oppenheimer. Tensions rise, tensions fall. There are different things that happen there. It's very important to be aware of that because that's going to affect how you can provide the service and when and where. Uh, in addition, as I was speaking before about cohorts, there's always a balance. There's always a shift. You know, um, maybe one half of the camp did something and then that's now you're seeing the reaction of that on the other side of the camp. There's a lot of social dynamics in there. Um, and there is influence, outside influence um, from that. For example, one of the best ones uh, that I can think of was in Nanaimo back in 2018 when the Sons of Odin uh, had a counter protest across the street from that encampment. Tensions were high. People felt that their life and their safety was at risk uh, from this group, right? And then from there, walking into the camp is a very, very different thing, um, you know, than the day when we have pizza, right? So trying to be aware of this camp as, as a living, breathing community of human beings and that different things can affect that. Um, in addition, impact. So that being said, if one, you know, community leader moves out of that camp, you know, what's going to be the, the knock-on impacts that that's going to have to that community, you know, to that particular cohort, to the safety and balance of the camp? Do you now, where are you going to drop off your fire extinguishers for the northwest section of the camp? You know, things like that, that it's important to be cognizant of um, within that. And then in addition, understanding the time and space. Um, that's especially pertinent now, um, you know, when people are renegotiating their social contracts with society, right? Um, the involvement and inclusion of police has changed drastically since 2016, right? Um, the fact that we're in a global pandemic, uh, you know, is very, very different that this, you know, that these encampments are existing with them. So it's important to be aware of those uh, factors as well as you go about your day to day and as, you know, you become a, a, a bigger support to that community. All right. Um, so this was kind of the arc. Oh, this is the uh, picture of the one year anniversary of the Johnson Street building. So uh, what a beautiful moment. Uh, a year on people are housed um, and, you know, they have clinical supports and, you know, people are, are caring for them. It's a wonderful thing. And that's kind of a goal, you know, further than getting people into housing is is housing people. You know, um, our housing department works very, very hard in PHS to keep people uh, house primarily, and then also to, to make sure that their needs to a certain degree are cared for um, and that people feel dignity in that. So with uh, Oppenheimer specifically, you know, let's put it on a timeline. We went in in November. Uh, well, we I did um, just to listen and talk to people and see what see what was going on, see what they think, see what happens, see what's the news, what's, what's, what's going on. Um, you know, sitting around the, 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 the sacred fire was a phenomenal thing and just hearing where people were at. Um, and then from there in January, uh, BZ housing approached us and we're like, Hey, would you possibly support this encampment via outreach? We're like, absolutely. We'd love to. Um, and then we got to cleaning and then we got to, you know, helping people and trying to solve problems as best that we could. Uh, and then from there, once we had that, going uh, sustainably. And in addition to that, um, with the help of WARS and other peer groups, helping clean, helping, you know, solve problems, helping uh, do other outreach and triage services. Um, then we brought in some ceremony. So, you know, we started ourselves with just a barbecue. It smells great. It gets people together. You know, they're lining up for this food that's coming hot off the grill. 
Um, and then from there, we reached out to our indigenous, um, you know, brothers and sisters and like, hey, any ceremony that you can come down and provide would be amazing. And the community really came in uh, from the Buddhist temple across the street um, to the MST nations coming in and providing that the culture saves lives, bringing drummers in and food and bannock and stew. It was, you know, it really kind of came together. Uh, and then from their communication the whole way, letting them know what's going on, um, good, bad or otherwise. So that's a lot of, um, you know, individuals coming in and being like, hey, this is happening at this time or this is what's going on or this is what you can expect. From there, you know, um, it's worth mentioning that, um, you know, at this time, you know, there is a court injunction. Things are happening. We got that public health order or the emergency order um, from the government. And then it was time to mobilize and get together. Um, and then the offers of housing came through. So then we communicated that out. And then from there was time to transition the camp, um, letting people know full well um, that, you know, there was an enforcement order uh, attached to that. Um, now, coming back from that, it's kind of blowing it all the way out. So to bring it back to the individual, um, this is a very intense process, uh, frontliners, not going to lie to you. So that being said, your routine is going to save your life. Um, one of the things that I studied for Oppenheimer was how athletes treat themselves. And my routine, you know, if you're going a week straight, two weeks straight, three weeks straight, four weeks straight in this because your heart compels you to do so, um, you know, really eat well and sleep and meditate and do what it is that you can spend time with family and loved ones and, and debrief and do all the things that you can um, to keep yourself propped up during this. This is a very human experience. Um, yeah, listen for your to-do list, very simple, right? People are gonna tell you what they need, do that, very simple. Um, also to try and connect with people. If you can find the same way, you know, if I can care for you um, or if you can care about the same thing that I care about, that's a connection. Uh, and that's an important thing with anybody that you're interacting with. Uh, hope is a fragile thing, so don't overpromise, underpromise, and overdeliver. It's the only way to go. Um, and lastly, you know, it's bigger than you. You know, there's a certain kind of critical mass that happens when you have this many people together um, trying to accomplish something, and that could be getting 250 people plus into housing. Right? That's a much bigger thing. Play your part. Do the best that you can. Communicate it. Um, so ultimately, you know, having done what this is my fifth encampment that I'm going to be going to this afternoon, you know, 10 city is basically to protest for housing. Understand that you are an active protest. It is political. It is alive. It is dynamic. Um, there is a lot of pain. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of community. There's a lot of a lot, uh, be aware that it's a dynamic environment. Um, 10 city, they disrupt society by visibly taking space. Oppenheimer park, a park is a public space. One of the few left, um, in society where you can be. So when it, this becomes an encampment protest, then other people can't use the park. And with Oppenheimer specifically, that might be your living room because you live in an SRO. That might be the fresh air that you get during the day. This might be where you walk your dog, you know, and that takes from people. Um, also, a 10, a 10 city is an autonomous community born from the margins of society. Nobody, you know, wants to live in a tent city in the beginning. Um, but that's, that's the best alternative they have at that point. They don't have access to, you know, market rent or, you know, family supports or any of the things like this. So unfortunately they have, they, they, there's enough people on the margins. They will tip back in and they will take the space that they need to survive. Um, tent cities are beautiful communities existing in a tragic context. We should not have tent cities. This is 2020 in Western society. 
what we do. And when people get together, it's beautiful. So it's a double-edged sword. Um, and then lastly, you know, hopefully we never normalize this. This is not um, okay. Ultimately, you know, we have a responsibility to our most vulnerable brothers and sisters um, to give them the most dignified, equitable treatment that we have because we're only as strong, you know, as the most vulnerable members, you know, of the society that we participate in. And also keep the faith, you know what I mean? We're working hard, we're doing well, as you can see from, you know, this policy and, and going forward and different approaches and things like that. Things are moving, people are learning, uh, people still care. Um, and with that, you know, that's kind of my experiences and hopefully there was some value there with some pragmatic tips on how to support encampments going forward. And if you ever need, feel free um, to reach out. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate it. So where are you going to this afternoon? Uh, I'll be going to um, the encampment in Strathcona Park. Okay. That's, uh, and where is that encampment right now in terms of uh, the process, the arc? Um, in so, well, insofar as that, and like, insofar as the arc, the arc isn't, that was just for Oppenheimer specifically. Every encampment is different. Um, but right now, that community is there. It's being run on kind of indigenous ceremony, which is phenomenal. Um, so where it is right now, it's still kind of in the forming phase of its community, uh, of the residents there and how they interact. Um, they have a lot of support, um, from, you know, different activist groups and things like that. So as it stands right now, they're just settling a little bit and taking a deep breath after that, um, after the displacement from Crab Park. Right. And, um, are you anticipating, uh, movement from that camp or is that something that you guys are working on? We're always working on that. Um, so that being said, it really depends on a lot of larger conversations with stakeholders as to what the next steps are insofar as, you know, um, the societal response to how we're going to address this. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to say thank you um, to Sarah and Patrick both. Um just to sum up, because we don't have a lot of time left, but I would really encourage people to um, use the survey that we that will pop up, as well as get in touch with us at HSABC. Sarah has also provided her email address. Um, we can get that to you if you want to connect with her more, especially around um, being part of that engagement process. And also... Um, I'm sure some of you probably will see Patrick out there in the community. Um, so thank you, both of you, for your stories, your thoughts, uh, your experiences. And um, if, there, if there is a burning question here, we have just a minute here that we can take that question. So feel free to type that into the chat section. Um, there is a question around, I don't know if this is for Sarah or Patrick, but um, is there an official position on housing people from encampments by moving them to the top of housing wait lists? Is that something that is within either of your wheelhouses to talk about? Um, hi. Yeah, so, um, no, there isn't an official position um, that I'm aware of um, and that often uh, people will still be housed through um, the coordinated access. Um, but that being in an, in an encampment, um, you know, especially one that may have sort of present dangers may um, mean that that person's at a higher vulnerability. Right. So, yeah. But there's not an official because I know I've heard that rumor. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Thank you for. No, and there have been, you know, there have been.
there have been some court cases that have like, you know, in Victoria, housing was established. And so, you know, there's that scenario. Um, and then with um, Oppenheimer and or Vancouver and Victoria as well. But um, their people are being housed through the respective coordinated access process. Right. So coordinated access, just to be clear, is working with different uh, ministries and service providers. Yeah. Um, so that's not definitely, that's totally not my um, wheelhouse. I don't know, maybe Patrick can explain <laughs> what it's more, and I think it's different just by city to city, but it'll be based, you know, it's often based on a vulnerability assessment of folks and then looking at the range of housing that's available, um, what comes up and who's best suited for where as things come up. I don't know. Does that sound? Yeah, that sounds, you know, good, yeah, it does. Okay, good. All right. Well, um, we're at the end of our time and we like to kind of keep that pretty tight around here. But um, I just want to say thank you again to both of you um, for being here today. And I know that I'm really looking forward to this as the beginning of a conversation, both between our members here at HSABC, the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing, um, and connecting with you, Sarah, has been really uh, valuable. And I look forward to continuing to talk with you. And as always, Patrick, we're thankful for your time and your stories and the work that you're doing as well. Thank you very much. So please go to our website to sign up for all of our training. Um, I've included the handouts that Sarah was speaking about today, as well as the draft guidelines in the webinar right now. But if you need any of that information, um, the podcast recording of this, as well as the video will be up on our website shortly, probably in the next couple of days. And you can find everything that you need in terms of uh, resources and handouts on our website. You can also get in touch with us at any point. And um, to everybody on the line, thank you for the work that you're doing. You're showing up even when it's hard in the midst of dual public health crises, in the midst of a lot of unprecedented challenges. So thank you for being here today. Stay safe, stay calm, and try to take a break if you can. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. HSABC is a provincial, member-driven organization, and our mandate is to strengthen and unify services across BC that are addressing the needs of those experiencing homelessness. Right now, so many of our members, as well as their friends, families, colleagues and clients, are facing unprecedented challenges, as well as a total change to our daily lives. And we're here to help support you on the front lines, however we can. You keep showing up, even in the most intense and difficult of circumstances, for the most vulnerable. Thank you for all the work you do, and for continuing to do it every day. Our website is hsa-bc.ca, and you can find COVID-19-specific resources for frontline and shelter workers, including handouts, posters, webinar video, news and health authority updates, and much more. You can also email us at info at hsa-bc.ca or find us on Twitter at underscore hsabc. Stay calm, stay safe, stay strong.